Alright, this morning in our series on uh, the Psalms, Divine Soul Music, we come to Psalm 27. A favorite, the first verse is uh, the lyrics of a very famous uh, classical choral piece. A well-known psalm and a well-loved psalm. And I think it will help us continue some thoughts that we had last week as well. We've sung it, uh, versions of it anyway. Let me read it for us from Scripture. As always, this is the very word of the living God. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Let me pray for us as we come before it this morning. O God, as we come before your word, we ask, as always, that you would speak to us this morning through it, and that you would fulfill the promise that you have made, that your word goes out and does not return to you empty, instead accomplishing what you purpose for it, and being successful in the things for which you send it. For us, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the things that you would have us learn from your word this morning so that your word becomes a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that we might walk according to what you would have us do. This, Father, we ask in the precious, holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, last week we looked at Psalm 20, and I presented that as, among other things, uh, a way of blessing the new year of wishing a blessing upon others for the new year. Think of these blessings that we find in Psalm 20. 
May God keep you safe. May God help you and support you. May you find favor with God. May God give you your heart's desire. And may God save you. Now the last of those is the most important of all, to be saved by God from death and from sin, from God's own wrath because of our sin, to look in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ, our Savior, the author and finisher of our faith. What greater blessing can we wish for anybody than that they would be saved? Now I've seen this week, as New Year's Day came and went, a handful of little graphics, of little memes that we see on the internet now, quoting Psalm 20, verse 4. The blessing, the wish that they have for others in the new year. What do they focus on? May God grant you your heart's desire. (laughs) Well, that's fine and well. But as I asked last week, what is your heart's desire? Is it selfish? Is it sinful? Is it prideful? Is it God-honoring? Is it God-seeking? And part of the reason I want to look at Psalm 27 this morning is I think it gives us a great answer to that question. What is our heart's desire, or what should be our heart's desire? It's in verse 4 again. One thing, says David, one thing curly from the uh, city slickers. One thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or meditate in his temple. One thing that I've asked, to dwell with God, to live with Him. That's what I want to look at this morning. Psalm 27, in light of this verse, which I think is, if not the key verse, it's certainly one of the key verses in this psalm. We'll look at the overall structure of the psalm, learn some things from that, and then dig into David's desire, his heart's desire. This is his, again, soul music. That I might live with the Lord my God. Let's consider that request that David makes and consider it for ourselves as well. So first let's take a look at Psalm 27 itself. It's very typical to divide the psalm into two parts. One in which David expresses incredible confidence. There's no doubt as you read the first six verses of the psalm that David trusts in the Lord without question. But then there's the second part of the psalm, beginning at verse 7, where David pours out his heart in supplication to God. The first six verses have these expressions of praise and of confidence in God, confidence in his relationship with God, that God is with him and that he is with God, how God will protect him and how God will save him, and we'll look at that. And then 7 to 14 has this petition from David to God, that instead of confidence seems to arise out of doubt or even despair. Oh God, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn away from me in anger. Don't cast me off 
Don't forsake me. Don't give me up to my enemies. And you have to ask yourself, when looking at the psalm that way, what's wrong with David? Is he of two minds? Is he confused? Is he conflicting with himself? Well, I don't think so. Not really. I think what's going on with David is something that's very common and we are very familiar with ourselves. Because how, think about this, how easy is it for us, on the one hand, to be full of faith in God, trusting in Him, speaking of our experiences where He is taking care of us with great confidence and thanksgiving and gratitude in our hearts. But on the other hand, when troubles arise, doubt creeps in. What's going to happen to me? Will my enemies defeat me? Some sort of trouble, some sort of difficulty rises up and inflicts us in one way or another. Financial difficulty, issues on on the job at work, maybe lack of work, conflict with others around us, broken relationships, the terrible sicknesses that people face and that we pray about, some even leading to death. It could be our struggle with our own sin and our frustration in that struggle. Sometimes it's just anxiety or depression (coughs) that grips us. And we can't really figure out why on how to get rid of it. We're sad. We're at a loss. We find ourselves in the midst of that difficulty and know in our hearts and minds that God is good and that He is faithful, that He's full of love and mercy toward us, (coughs) that He's a God who has saved us and helped us time after time after time. And yet, yet, in the midst of that trouble that rises, well, we begin to doubt. We begin to wonder. We begin to fear. Will he help me this time? Will this enemy inflict great pain upon me? Will this trial be too much? Is God going to bring me through? I think that's a very typical experience for most Christians. On the one hand, to be full of faith in God, but on the other hand, when circumstances arise, to be full of doubt and, and fear. Happened to the disciples, and they were with Jesus. No surprise that it would happen to us as well. And it's what we should expect as well, isn't it? What Jesus promised you will have trials. Do not fear, I have overcome the world. Peter tells us not to be surprised, but rather to rejoice when fiery trials come upon us. And so I think Psalm 27, in the end, becomes an instruction for us in how to face those trials when they come. How to have confidence, while at the same time giving voice to our heartfelt promise, uh, petitions and, and prayers. In very simple terms, Psalm 27 is a reminder of the goodness and graciousness and power and and the trustworthy character of God in the face of whatever opposition we are faced with. And then having reminded ourselves of that truth, now we can face the difficulty that has arisen and make our requests known to God. So a very simple approach, modeled after Psalm 27. First, Remind yourselves of what God has done for you and what kind of God he is. And then go to him and pour out your heart to him. 
Let's look at how David does this. We know David faced many enemies throughout his life. As a shepherd, it was bears and wolves and lions. As the anointed yet not enthroned king of Israel, it was Saul. He had enemies other than Saul as well. Many of those he faced when he finally did become king. We learned that when he finally had rest from his enemies around him, the nations around him, then his own family rose up in opposition to him, his own sons and wives. Sometimes a close friend was part of the plot. David had an abundance of enemies throughout his life. And yet David was also a man of faith, a man after God's own heart. So he faced these enemies, and we see it time and time again in the stories of David. He faced those enemies with confidence in the Lord his God. He regularly, before going to war, would inquire, should I go up? And the Lord would give him instruction on what to do. So David can look back on his life and say with utter and complete confidence, the Lord has protected me from my enemies. The Lord has watched over me. The Lord has kept me and protected me. He is my light and salvation and my stronghold. So who should I fear? It's a rhetorical question. No one. God has been his light and led him into truth and righteousness. He's been his stronghold. His salvation, I mean. Delivering David time and time again from enemies. And that stronghold as well in verse 1. There's a wall of protection that God has put around David to keep him safe. If you look to verse verse 2, when enemies did arise, it was they who stumbled and fell, not David. In verse 3, armies could surround him, and yet he remained confident in the Lord his God. Skip to verse 5, God has sheltered David from trouble, concealed him in his own tent, lifted him high, given him safety on a rock. David's response in verse 6 then is to offer sacrifices to God with shouts of joy, to sing and give praise to God. In short, to worship God. And I think David recalling these truths in the first part of the psalm helps him go to the Lord in in the rest of the psalm. Hear me, he cries. Be gracious, answer me. You told me to seek your face. I'm here seeking your face. And look how he expresses it. My heart says to you, your face I seek. This is not some intellectual exercise for David. His very soul is crying out to the Lord his God. I need you. I'm seeking your face. Hear me. Don't hide your face from me, he says in verse 9. Don't turn away from me in anger. Don't be angry with me. Don't cast me off. Don't forsake me. I'm looking to you, the God of my salvation. My mother and father have forsaken me. Think about how poignant that is. Other than a spouse, who's closer to us than our parents? (laughs) To have them abandon you. How terrible would that be? My own father and mother have abandoned me. But the Lord will take me in. His enemies arise in verses 11 and 12 and plot against him. 
Don't give me up to their will. They've brought up false witnesses to testify against me. They breathe out violence against me. So teach me your ways. Put me on a level path so I can make it through easily. So here David reminds himself of God's prior help and then pours out his request to God. My enemies have risen yet again, plotting against me, raising false witnesses against me, plotting evil against me. Lord, I need you. Be my help. Hear me. Don't don't be angry. Don't forsake me. His plea comes from a place of confidence and faith. I think here's how David sees trials as an opportunity to learn once again from God and grow in faith and and trust, to see once again God's work on his behalf. And so that's a lesson for us. Is that how we approach the trials that come up in our lives? Reminding ourselves first of what God has done and then pouring out our heart to him. Because David is worried and concerned. We can hear it. We can read between the lines of the psalm and see the anxiety that's in his heart. But fear does not overwhelm his faith in God. So in the midst of that trial, here's another opportunity to be taught by God. Teach me your way, he says in verse 11. Teach me again your way. Lead me on a level path. And when God teaches him, now David has another example to set before himself and others of God's faithfulness. Something that will again lift his head so that he can rise up in worship, as we saw in verse 6. Again, is, is that our approach? How often instead do we feed the worry, laying up at night, thinking of scenarios and concocting all sorts of far-fetched possibilities of what might possibly could maybe sort of happen and we let that drive us to a place of fear and and worry and anxiety or do we learn from david recall what god has done for us get a little boost of confidence from that truth And then ask God for another opportunity to be taught his ways through his saving protection and providential care of our lives. It doesn't do in these situations to to, have a stiff stiff upper lip and we're not English anyway, but to to buckle ourselves up and and, persevere through it. Pretend like the worry and anxiety doesn't exist. I've said this before, and I'll say it again through the Psalms. God knows your heart. (laughs) So you might as well share it with him anyway. David does that here. But he does it from a place of confidence and trust in the Lord his God. Look to God. Expect to see his goodness. And that's how David ends the Psalm. With confidence again. I believe he has confidence that he will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not some future place. This isn't about eternity. We'll see God's goodness there too. David expects to see it in this life. Now, 
while he's walking this earth. And so he admonishes himself and he admonishes us as well. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take courage. Let your heart instead turn from anxiety to courage. Wait for the Lord. Expect the Lord to ask, act and then wait for him to do it. It'll be his timing. It'll be his answer. His timing almost certainly will not be yours. His answer very likely will not be what you're looking for. But again, it will be good for you and for those around you. So even in the midst of of trouble, again, David is confident and looks to the Lord to assuage his fears and doubts. And here's where I think we come to verse 4, which I think, again, is the heart of this psalm. In the midst of this trial and, and difficulty, in the midst of recalling the character and the work of God with confidence and praise, David has one overriding request. The one thing that he's asked for, the one thing that he will seek after. Lord, let me live with you. Let me see you. Let me inquire of you in your house. It's been a conviction of mine for quite a long time that one of the many one of the main reasons we experience trials and difficulties in this life, that God sends them to us, is to wean us from our attachment to this world, our love of it, our need to cling to it. To wean us from that and to, to put a, a desire and a hope for Christ's return and for eternity into our hearts, the new heaven and the new earth. No more tears, no more sorrows, not even death. And I think that's one way to look at David's request in verse 4. That he's asking God to wean him from the, the joys and attachments to this life. This goes back to the first commandment that we read earlier. The Lord should be our God and not anything else. And I hope that you've experienced that as well. I think it's a very profitable thing for us as, as we mature and grow in our faith. That even though we might see glory and beauty in the creation around us, but we also see the curse of sin on that creation. The sinfulness of mankind, our own sinfulness, the sinfulness of our sin. You see the effect of that sin on the world around you and on humanity and begin to long more and more for eternity with God. Life on earth the way it was meant to be in the garden when God created all things very good and gave us very meaningful work to do. A place where God walked with man and communed with him without guilt or fear of shame or rejection or God's anger. I hope God is creating that longing in your heart as he weans you from attachment to this world. And I think that's a fine way of understanding verse 4, but I don't think it's the main way to understand it. The primary way to look at it is in in light of David's attitude in verse 13. His primary focus is on this life. He expects to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So this request in verse 4 is also, I think, about the land of the living. One thing I've asked that I will seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord now, in this life, 
And he says it, all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or meditate in his temple. The point of view is right here, right now, this life on earth. David wants to be with God, to see God's beauty, to inquire in God's house. That's worship. David is describing worship. David wants to be a worshiper of God. God's house was for David the place of worship, the tabernacle, the future temple. David wants to be in that house at worship all the days of his whole life. And in worshiping, he wants to see God's beauty on display. And he wants to inquire. Some Bibles have a footnote on that word, to meditate. It's an interesting word in Hebrew, used in uh, 2 Kings chapter 16, to describe uh, the close inspection of a sacrifice, to make sure it met the criteria. It's used elsewhere in Scripture to, to describe any close examination or investigation of, of a thing. In other words, to really study something, to really examine it, to gain wisdom and insight about that thing. That's what David's talking about in verse 4 when he says he wants to inquire in the temple. He wants to be a student of God. He wants to examine him and come to wisdom and understanding about the things of God. Think about the kind of worship then that David desires, this one thing that he asks God to give him. It's constant every day of his life. It reveals God's beauty and it gives a deeper understanding of God and his ways. Again, it's verse 11 then becomes an echo of verse 4. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. So again, thinking of the blessings from Psalm 20, the one that everybody wants in verse 4. May God grant you your heart's desire. What is your heart's desire? May it be that of David, here in Psalm 27, verse 4. Think about it. A life of lived in constant worship of God. I don't mean the externals of worship, but a constant attitude of giving glory and praise to God. Thanksgiving and gratitude for what he's done. Hearing his songs in your heart. Reading his word and studying it. Is it your heart's desire to be in constant worship of God? to see his beauty, and to grow into a deeper understanding of him and his ways. Is that your heart's desire? Should it not be? All of ours. Do you want to be in God's house to worship? Do you look forward to Sundays? Do you miss it during the week? Or do you just leave here and go on about life and the other cares and concerns of day-to-day living? Do you sing songs of praise and joy? David wants to do that. Sing and make melody to the Lord his God with a shout. Is that part of your everyday activity? Not just on Sunday? When you come to worship, do you desire to see the beauty of God? Or are you looking to be entertained? This is an argument against the the kind of petty and simplistic and banal 
worship that exists far too often, far too widespread today. Is our worship beautiful? Is the music beautiful? Is the setting honoring and beautiful? Are the actions honoring and beautiful? Are we doing in worship what God wants us to do so that as we do that, we see His beauty and His glory, His majesty, His love, His mercy? Do you see the works of creation and give praise to God? Do you see acts of love and kindness around you and ultimately thank God for it, whether that person is a believer or not? Because if it's a believer, they're doing it because God has given them the heart to do it. And if they're not, God is providentially (laughs) making them do it. We're Calvinists, we can say that. Every good thing, every good gift is from God the Father. Do you give praise to God for the good things that you see, whatever they are, wherever you find them? Do you study God? Do you study the things of God? Are you eager to dig deep into God's Word? Or is it easier to be satisfied with a little pep talk once a week? A simplistic but encouraging message. Here's one of these cases where we want God to answer our prayers. There's one way to know God will answer your prayer the way you pray it. Ask for what he wants to give you. God gave us this psalm. Yes, this is David's request, but God put this request in his heart. Ask for the request in verse 4, and God will give it to you. Our God delights to answer prayers, especially the ones he puts in our own hearts. He wants you to have himself and to see his beauty, and to learn of him. To do what Jesus taught in the New Testament reading that we had from Matthew 6, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else will be added on to that. Jesus admonishes us not to worry, not to be anxious. Each day has enough worry for itself. It's not anything different from what we're being taught in Psalm 27. Put away worry, especially worries about tomorrow. God will take care of you because he's promised to. And if you've walked with him for any length of time, you've seen him do it time and time and time again. And if you're younger and haven't, that's the reason to have a church made up of all sorts of people. So you can go to the older folks and say, what has God done for you? I'm in trouble right now. I need a story. (laughs) I need a testimony of God's salvation and his goodness and his grace. That's that's why we're a mixed body. We can help one another. God has promised to take care of you. Well, David wants to enter into God's house, to be in a relationship with him. There's only one way to get in, whether it's in Revelation when the heavenly city comes down and only the holy and the pure can get in, or anywhere else in Scripture, the only way you get in is if you're pure and holy and without sin. And if you enter in, better be with a sacrifice, escorted by a mediator, 
well, we don't offer sacrifices the way David did because the one, the one once-for-all sacrifice has already been made. So whether we enter into worship now or look forward to the worship in the new heavens and the new earth, we only get there one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, our mediator, the God-man who takes us into God's presence, where we find favor, The God-man who was able to do for us what we would not do for ourselves, obeying God's law in life and death, sacrificing himself, dealing with every single sin that we have, paying its penalty and covering us in his own robes of righteousness. Now we can enter into the presence of God pure, with clean robes given to us by our very own Savior. And we know that God accepted the work of his son because he raised him to life, to sit at his right hand. And Jesus is there now, now, bodily, reigning and ruling at the right hand of the Father and making intercession for us. He pleads on our behalf. Do we want God? He wants us. And he pleads for us. And the Spirit prays for us with words beyond understanding. We can come to the Father without any of these fears or concerns that David has. He will not hide his face from us. He will not look upon us in anger. He will not forsake us. He will not cut us off. This is the God that we serve. In the end, the only right worship, the only right relationship with God, here or in eternity, comes through the Son, Jesus Christ. Repenting of our sin and looking in faith to Him, and to Him alone for salvation. May God grant you, this year, your heart's desire. But here's the question. What is your heart's desire? It may be Jesus to worship Him, be with Him constantly, to see His beauty, to know Him, to live with Him every single day of your life, now and for all of eternity. Let's pray. Dear God and Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of David, the man after your own heart, we would be men and women and children after your heart as well, creating us the desire for you. And open up the path for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let us never forget him and who he is and what he's done for us. Let us never forget that he has poured out his Spirit upon us, that your Spirit dwells within us and never leaves us, and nothing can snatch us out of your hand. Let us be people who have that one desire to know you, to see your beauty, and to meditate upon you and and all aspects of you and who you are and what you've done all the days of our lives. Bless us in this endeavor. Equip and enable us in the tasks that you have given us to do in our homes, with our families, in our jobs, 
the various callings that you have led us to at work, in school, and in the community. Help us to be salt and light to those around us. Father, we cannot do this in our own power, so we do ask that you would equip us and enable us by your Spirit and through the teaching of your Word as he applies it in our hearts and makes it active in our lives. What a precious gift you have given to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.